0: This show is brought to you by EarPeeler.com.
1: Welcome, one and all, to episode 122 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and we are continuing the classic albums series here for the month of September. Once again, there will be nine albums discussed total, and this time around, it will be Anthrax's Sound of White Noise. Before jumping into that, just want to remind you guys that this series has been going on for quite a few years. Some of the comments that you will hear are a few years old as a result uh, from when I first started uh, pretty much bringing people together and putting these episodes together. So there are some interesting things that have happened. For example, Gene Hoagland appears in this episode and he ended up playing in Anthrax when Charlie was out due to... I, I was a surgery, I believe, or something along those lines. And Gene covered for him. I'm not sure if Gene's comments would be the same had he have covered for Charlie or not in the band. I don't know. So um, you'll hear his comments. Um, also want to mention... Actually, Gene has commented on every single album for the most part from the time that he agreed to doing this. Uh, In any event, I do want to run this down for those of you that are not aware of this series because a lot of people are coming to me recently as of the last two episodes that we released. Last week we did Blizzard of Oz and Back in Black and a lot of people have been turned on to this series and have come to me and said, Hey, you know, I started downloading all these other episodes because I wasn't aware that you had done this in the past. So let me just run this down for you guys so that you guys are aware of what what we've released so far. So we kicked things off way back when with Metallica's Injustice for All. Then we had Prong Cleansing. We had Queens of the Stone Age, Songs for the Deaf, Van Halen, Van Halen 2. We had Tool Anima, um, Megadeth's Peace Cells. Judas Priest Painkiller, Motley Crue Shout at the Devil, Pantera Far Beyond Driven, Suicidal Tendencies, their subtitle debut, Suicidal Tendencies, Slayer's Seasons in the Abyss, Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction, Iron Maiden Power Slave, and be- excuse me, Black Sabbath uh, Heaven and Hell trying to be cautious here because I got my whole family sleeping downstairs so (laughs) that's why maybe I'm not as loud as usual but anyway moving forward here um so then we have the two episodes from last week which are Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz, ACDC's Back in Black and this week we will have Anthrax Sound of White Noise and then this Thursday I'll be releasing Overkills Taking Over so Some of these have more guests than others. You know, I wish I could have 25 guests uh, or 24 actually like we have on this episode for all of them. Some are less, some are more. I mean, I don't know if you want to look at that and say that, you know, one band is bigger than the other. One is more impactful than the other. Or maybe I just didn't knock on the right doors. You know, who knows? So with this episode, you'll find comments written up on the page. As with all the other episodes, there are the written comments that are submitted and posted right there on MarsAttacksRadio.com, And then you have the podcast, which you're listening to currently, which then has audio comments that I was able to obtain via conversations with various people. Well, the various people that appear, basically. With this episode, we have former Anthrax guitarist Paul Crook whether he was official or not that's something to debate on another day uh, but he was definitely part of the band and part of the anthrax family he helped produce two albums basically he toured with the band during two separate tours for front front four four two yeah um, I had this whole discussion on industrial metal and I got front four four two in my head stomp four four stomp four four two and it would be front two four two excuse me so stomp four four two and volumate. The thread is real. So Paul Crook was a part of those two. And if you read what you know, the Q and A that I did with him, it's actually pretty cool because he talks about how he was involved with the band, how he first joined up, you know, different uh, praises that he's received over the years from major guitarists, you know, Diamondback Daryl and Brian May are nothing to sneeze at, I don't think. And uh, he's basically producing and recording a Meatloaf album currently. So he's busy. So I was glad to be able to at least get something back from him in a written format. And yeah, I mean, Anthrax is a band that has been a big deal for me. Let me just put it to you that way. Uh, growing up, you were... Either, or at least in my high school, you were a Metallica Slayer fan or a Megadeth Anthrax fan. And I was a Megadeth Anthrax fan. I honestly didn't get into Metallica until much later. Anthrax was the first thrash band that I really got a hold of and really took off with them. And, man, I've loved this band for the longest time, and it's difficult for me to talk to them without turning into complete fanboy mode here i'm gonna be honest with you uh the band has been like a crutch like a good friend to lean on uh when times have gotten tough you know i always harken back to that and music does that for all of us you know anyone who's a real music fan always has those albums or those tracks that when things are shitty you know you turn to them to Help lift your spirits. So I don't think I'm telling. Or I don't think I'm saying anything. That a lot of you don't know or understand. But in any event. To me. Sound of White Noise. Is a pivotal album. For the band. Uh, like a lot of other bands. There's a lot of controversy. A lot of turmoil with the fans. You know. What went down with Joey. What didn't go down with Joey. You know that's for the band to know 100%. When I go into these things, I don't try to, you know, like a lot of different people, um, you know, I'm going to be the one that uncovers what really happened. If the band really wants to tell you what happened, they'd say, you know, Um, I haven't read Scott's book. I'm the world's worst reader. I started to read it, but it isn't because the book sucks or anything. It's just I suck at reading, and recently somebody suggested this, just get the book on audio. Uh, maybe I should do that, because I really want to read it. I mean, I saw his stand-up a DVD. I crowdfunded that, or I was one of the people that, you know, um, put money into that campaign, and I thought it was funny as shit, you know? So if you haven't seen that, I... Highly recommend that you check that out. It's pretty funny, and his story about meeting Lemmy and about all that is just incredible. It's funny as hell, uh, amongst other things that he talks about. So, And uh, this episode I was lucky enough to talk to... A bunch of people that have been involved or connected to the band one way or another. Recently, some of you may have heard my interview with Frank Bello, uh, which a lot of different publications picked up. And I thank you know all the sites that did help promote that episode. Uh, it sucks that not every episode gets that attention, and that's sort of why I started Earpeeler, which we'll get to that in a second. Um, but anyway, we have Frank Bello on, who's obviously the longtime bass player in the band. Uh, John Bush, who sung on Sound of White Noise, uh, current lead singer of Armored Saint. Charlie Benante, obviously, still in Anthrax. Uh, we have Joey Vera, who stepped in when Frank stepped away for a little bit right before the union reunion Excuse me, took place in 05. Uh, we have... Andreas Kisser, who stepped in when Scott Ian's wife, Pearl, was about to give birth to their first child. Uh, We have Carl Cannaday, who actually is from The Rods and who produced Fistful of Metal, Armed and Dangerous, and Spreading the Disease. We also have Ross the Boss, who, when interviewing him, told me that he produced the very first single ever released by the band. Uh, We have... Uh, Josh and Bill from the band Toxic uh, discussing, you know, Anthrax's influence on the band and what it's meant to, you know, come from the same general area. They actually just did a tour of Mexico, if I'm not mistaken, and they were doing the track Metal Thrashing Mad in concert. So there's that. Uh, We have Alan Tecchio from Hades and Nonfiction, who a few years ago, and I have the link up on my site if you want to check out the episode, his former guitarist in the band Hades, when Hades was together, he claims that uh, they did Got the Time before Anthrax did. And right around the time they were recording Persistence of Time, Dan Lorenzo claims that Charlie and Scott were in the crowd at a Hades show and that they borrowed the idea of doing Got the Time. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying what Dan Lorenzo said, and you can check it out during the interview that I did with him. So um, who else do we have? We have Gene Hogan, which I mentioned. We have the guys from the Decibel Geek podcast coming back once again. Uh, We have people that are on both sides of the fence, people that prefer the Joey years and people that really enjoy what John Bush did while in Anthrax. So Uh, There's plenty of people that are going to come up and discuss everything that uh, they feel regarding this album and about the band. So uh, we'll jump to all that in a second, and we'll kick things off in one second. Um, I do want to remind you guys to check out our Facebook page, Twitter uh, we have Tumblr as well and G+. With a new revamped Mars Attacks Radio website, which is found at marsattacksradio.com, you have links to all of the social media stuff at the top and the bottom. Uh, I'm working on getting links to Stitcher and iTunes on there, so hopefully by the time some of you have heard this episode, uh, maybe that will already be in place, and you'll say, what the hell's he talking about? But it's something that I'm working on getting set up. Um I also mentioned the ear peeler a second ago. Ear peeler is a site that I have set up to help uh all you fans that are out there that really like podcasting that really like music and don 't know that a lot of interviews are taking place they don 't know that are uh that their favorite artists are on podcasts or they're getting interviewed by major uh, print publications because it isn 't being mentioned on other sites. Uh, there's no point in pointing fingers or anything else because I think we're all in this together, and you know the classic news sites. I'm positive that they're getting saturated with just so much information on a daily basis that it's hard to pick and choose from what they're what they're going to post. So um, that's why Ear Peelers here to help supplement any of you people that are going to Brave Words or. Uh, you know, Metal Injection or Blabbermouth or, you know, any other music site that you may think of. You know, I'm not saying stop going to any of those sites. I'm not saying these sites suck because they're all great. I go to them as well, you know. So um, what I'm saying is if you want to hear, for example, uh, right now a lot of people are interviewing Members of Fear Factory, or members of Disturbed, or members of Iron Maiden. If you weren't aware of the fact that they were on a certain show, or that they made certain remarks, or whatnot, you can go to Earpeeler, and you can either search by band, by a show name, uh, or by a subgenre, if you want. And based on that, you'll find anything that pertains to your search. Maybe. Uh, there's a music show that just played something off of the new Maiden and you want to check that out. Well, your Peeler will allow you to do so. Uh, you'll be able to find any show that has you know a link or a tag that pertains to the topic Iron Maiden. So there's that. Um, another thing that I want to mention real quickly, that if you listen to the Frank Bello episode, if you listen to when I originally spoke to John Bush and various different people, New York Steel means a great deal to me because of everything that went down in 9-11, witnessing 9-11, and that pretty much, that benefit show helped, you know, give me a kick in the ass to, to, yeah, to get life going again. So um, anytime that I have someone from a band that played during that show, I always try to thank them. Uh, because that show means a hell of a lot to me. I did that with anyone that you're listening to during this show. Um, You'll hear, well, during this episode, you won't hear me, but with the Frank Bello episode, I did it at that time when we touched on other topics that had nothing to do with sound of white noise. So um, just for anyone that's a big Anthrax fan, anyone that, if by chance some other musician is out there that played during that benefit and they're checking this episode out, I just want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of anyone else who that benefit show helped, you know, help help them out by helping them move forward or, or whatever it may have helped, you know, in their lives. So anyway, I have rambled on enough here. We will kick things off with Jason McMaster, who is known for his work in Watchtower, in Dangerous Toys, Broken Teeth. He's part of uh Mall. spelled like um, uh, Darth Maul, that is. Um, the, he's also part of another band called Evil United, if I'm not mistaken, and a bunch of other things that he's a part of but we're gonna hear a a word from our sponsor and then we're gonna jump right into it 24 guests talking about sound of white noise good bad or indifferent no filter here i want everyone to have their voice be known and enjoy here it is sound of white noise by anthrax
0: ear the podcasting and interview news site to keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about he was part of watchtower dangerous toys broken teeth and a plethora of other projects jason mcmaster
2: uh enter john bush um it changed the way Anthrax uh, wrote songs, I feel. Um, maybe not. May- maybe not. Maybe, you know, I think at that time, uh, Scott Ian was living in Los Angeles, and they were writing the lyrics in LA while Charlie was writing the riffs in either Chicago or New York, because I know uh, Charlie was living in in Chicago. I don't know where he is now, but it's not important. The idea was that they had this idea all set up and, you know, I think that they had their, you know, and by the time they would get together, they would have music and lyrics and, and not everybody was in charge of both at the same time. It was like, you know, you guys come up, Charlie, you come up with some grooves and some riffs and we'll come up with some lyrics and, and then we can put this stuff together in the middle somewhere. And, uh, I don't know for, of Anthrax doing it that way ever before, but it was something that I was lucky enough to hear about the how they how they put tunes together, and uh, I think that um, that that record once again was a, a sort of straddled the line a little bit, maybe not with. Uh, you know, it wasn't Metallica's black album or anything, but it was a really good uh, arrow aimed at the bullseye of that target, you know, of that idea of straddling that line of being a real heavy metal band with accolades and clout and being part of the big four, if you will, and all of that historical, huge, uh, you know, Bombastery of historical uh, meaning to to come of age and once again be through two or three singers at that point and write a record that had a charting song on it in your in your own country uh, because I know Anthrax did well in Europe and they continue to do well in Europe um, and of course they have their fans here but think that everybody knows the song only i think james hetfield even said in in an interview uh in sort of a quick review of of the song only i said i think that he said it was the perfect song and uh you know yeah yeah and you know, even though it may or may not be my favorite uh anthrax record or only may not be my favorite anthrax song, James is right as far as being a somewhat of a songwriter of any sort. It, it, he's right. I mean the hook is there. It's not it's not lame. You know, you know what I mean? There's a lot of glory about what's going on on the record as well as the song only. And there's a reason why that was considered a single. And it's just weird that heavy metal has singles. Heavy metal is not really known to, when you say heavy metal, you don't think uh radio hit, not in my eyes anyway. It's still kind of an underground club in my brain, but I understand that, uh, you know, I mean, heavy metal has the mass appeal now. So, you know, we're in a different place, you know. So, yeah, definitely a contender for uh, great albums of either that year or that decade, for sure, uh, under under heavy metal.
0: He's written a million and one books about hard rock and metal, Martin Popoff.
2: I would say
3: I was very excited about this album. This was the grunge years. This is when metal was totally under siege and Anthrax came out and put... Uh, put out a a album that was um, very heavy, very classy, very heavy metal, but also uh, modern at the same time. It was just a really cool uh, uh, cool collection of songs, um, grindy, slow, uh, maybe a little bit grungy. The new singer was just fine um, you know di- didn't miss uh, Joey at all um, very cool. It, uh, in, incredibly stupid album cover. Never understood the album cover, but no, just just a great album. Had a lot of use for it. Um, Anthrax has has pretty much always delivered quality, and uh, and that album has, has uh, stood the test of time. Everybody likes it.
0: The man that continues to shred the envelope, Dave Ruffet.
4: Sound of White Noise by Anthrax, I think, is a really really good album. Um, personally, man, I'm I'm a huge. I love the Belladonna days. And I'm really happy that they're back with him and everything. And uh, I'm looking forward to the new record. Um, but I love all the stuff that they did, like Among the Living, Spreading the Disease, all that stuff. Sound of White Noise, I did enjoy, though. Like uh, Only, I thought was a cool track. Room for One More, really cool. Um, there's a lot of good songs on that one. There's one in particular, I want to say Burst is the name of the song. I thought that was a really cool song. And... um De- I think definitely the strongest album they did with John Bush, for sure. And uh, I think John Bush is a great singer, too. A good front man, all that. And um, We've Come For You All was cool, too. I enjoyed the um, the songs that had Bag on there and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, cool song. Cool, cool uh,
0: album, for sure. Lord von Rathenstein of Lords of Trident. You know, Anthrax is
3: interesting because I've listened to a lot of Anthrax, and and I can, you know, I can clearly see why they are one of—they're considered to be, you know, one of the, uh, one of the early pioneers and one of the greats, uh, you know, in their own right. But at the same point, I can also see why they're not sort of thought of as highly, or you know, by the general public, I'd say, as highly as as a band like like Metallica uh, or Megadeth or, or the type. Because you know, I'm listening through to this entire album, and while While it's very good musically uh and and it's you know it's, it's got a bunch of great parts singers fantastic the the guitar's a great, rhythm section's fantastic. you know it, I think what it's missing uh and and i'm going to sound it's it's going sound like a like a you know sort of a, a, a record p r guy to say this, but it's missing like hooks. you know a lot of the songs that I'm listening to they sort of blend in the other, and I can't really pick out that one sing along hook that that song that I can just be like. Yep, that's the one that I'm going to be, you know, remembering in my head as I'm as I'm uh, as I'm running into battle, sword is drawn, that kind of a thing. You know, I'm I'm just missing that. So I can so while I respect Anthrax, you know, I think that's probably the one their their one Achilles heel uh, that they could they could be just maybe a little more hooky on this album. I don't know.
0: From Witchcross and Ravensthorne, Count William. Okay, this is going to be my first one that
5: I I don't want uh, to give. Uh, saying that I'm not liking it, but it's a good album for uh, the fact that one thing I'm going to say, John Bush uh, came into the group and I love his voice with Armored Saint. And I thought he was decent with Anthrax on this album, but uh, in retrospect now, you know, I'm liking it a lot more now, but at the time when it came out, um, in all honesty, uh, I was a huge Joey Belladonna fan and, uh, and I really, you know, preferred him and I was, I was really, You know, not too pleased with the idea of replacing him. But, you know, um, and then they brought him in and I had been a massive Armored Saint fan. But at the same time, it seems like as soon as he joined uh, Anthrax, like everything about him that was like Armored Saint was completely changed. And uh, he wasn't anything like Joey Belladonna either. It was like they took all the John Bush out of John Bush and then they took a. You know, he wasn't anything like the previous singer. But, but then when I gave it a chance, I put it on. It was it was a pretty decent album. But I had to go and see him a few years later and see him in concert. Because, you know, after I got the album, uh, the sound of white noise at the time, I, I just kind of got this depressed with the whole state of Anthrax. And I kind of, uh, it wasn't the music. It was still great. But I was just kind of sad that Joey Belladonna was gone because uh, I had seen them in the early days excuse me, I'd seen him in the early days with him, and I loved him. You know, I was a big-time fan on Among the Living. I've seen him several times on Among the Living tour and State of Euphoria, and I was just like, I was absolutely crazy about the lineup that they had going, you know, Armed and Dangerous, all those old classics, and then and then to see you have to go, you know, for whatever reason it was that they didn't get along with him, it was, it was just hard for me to accept a new singer, but even though and i had all the armored saint albums and i loved them too and i thought they were great but having him go into anthrax and then all of a sudden the next thing you know he's like got his hair cut off and he's dressed in you know like a a freaking gangster outfit like i'm like what the heck's going on you know and then and then the sound was was very different from previous anthrax but when you put it on you know and you examine it now and you look at it with a more open state of mind it was a pretty damn good album still. There was still some great songwriting going on. And uh, and I, I got to say, I, I kind of like it a little more now that I've given it a fair chance, you know, years later. But at that point in time, I just, it, it kind of hit me, you know, a little off guard and I wasn't really too crazy about it. But now I put it back on. I think it's a pretty damn good album. But I still kind of prefer Joey Belladonna.
0: The host of One on One with Mitch, Talking Metal Digital's own Mitch Lafon.
6: Oh, beautiful album! That that sound of white noise is really the one album <clears throat> that sucked me into Anthrax. I had heard, you know, all the other stuff, you know, Indians and all that stuff, and Public Enemy with, you know, their uh, Bring the Noise and all that stuff on MTV and much music and all these channels. And I heard a little bit of radio play, and I liked them, but not really enough to run out and buy the albums. And then, sound of white noise came out, and sonically the album was much cleaner. I, I mean, I had, I had heard the other albums, but they were always sort of muffled. They they never they never really recorded well, right? And uh, especially armed and Dan- is it armed and dangerous? The one with the guy with the punch in the face?
1: A uh, fistful of metal. F-
6: fistful of metal. I mean, that one was terrible sounding. And um, you know, uh, here here again. Just like Heaven and Hell, and just like all the other bands, or a lot of the other bands, Back in Black, here's a a new singer, uh, John Bush comes in, out of Armored Saint. He brings a whole new perspective to Anthrax. He brings a whole new energy to Anthrax. And the band makes this make-it-or-break-it kind of album. You know, the tides were turning. Um, It was the end of, you know, the whole 80s metal scene. Uh, they they have a new singer, um, you know. They 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 have bands like Guns N' Roses and Metallica that had, uh, you know, pulled away from the from the rest of the pack so far away, um, and yet here they come out. And, and you know, what really strikes me the most about that album, other than John Bush, was the level of playing, especially by Charlie Benente. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy took. His drumming, and just I mean, just he he, he upped his game. I mean, he, he he's like you know uh, I guess you know in Spain you get a a soccer player who sort of plays and rolls around, and then you got the guy who scores 50 goals a year, and that's right. sort of what what Charlie Benente did. He 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 went from this drummer that filled a hole and people respected and went oh yeah Charlie, but when you had a a, a poll in a in a drummers magazine who's the best drummer. You know, he was rarely on the list. And then Sound of White Noise came out and you went, who the hell is this freaking monster behind the drums? You know, right. Charlie Benente, John Bush did a great job and, and and the band did it. But Charlie Benente, to me, is the star of that album. His, mm-hmm. playing, his playing on Sound of White Noise is like nothing he's ever done before. And then you have songs like Only, Room for One More, High Pro Glow, I mean, classic metal. Those are songs that Metallica could sing or Kiss could sing or any other band could sing, and the songs would work because a good song is a good song is a good song. And Anthrax finally had good songs. They had a lot of, you know, okay songs or songs that people liked, but nothing that was extra special. I mean, and I know people are going to say, oh, come on, uh, Spreading the disease, blah, 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 you know, uh, uh, antisocial. They were not anthemic, and I think room for one more and only are anthemic songs, or at least certainly had the potential to be.
7: Okay. That's
6: my that's my uh, sound of white noise spiel. What a great album! I love that. Yeah. I just listened to that the other day. What a great album.
0: Brett Blackouts of Van Sound
6: of
8: White Noise. When I. I've always loved Anthrax. Like they were one of the first metal bands I got into. Um, but I had always written off the John Bush era kind of early on. Like I, you know, I was all Joey Belladonna, Neil Turbin. But a few years ago, I I actually started listening to it as a joke because uh, Nick really hates it. He, like, I don't know, he doesn't, it's, it's just super grungy and kind of alternative, you know. But I started listening to it as a joke. And then I bought the album because I started kind of liking it. And that one, I, on and off, I'll, I'll put it on. And I don't know. It's, it's really grown on me. It's really catchy and it's not my usual forte, you know, cause it is kind of more radio rock, I guess. I don't know because it is still kind of, it's still heavy and it still sounds like anthrax, but it's a, it's a weird, I think it's a weird departure for them. And I think it's weird that John Bush, went from armored saint to that but i think it i think it's got a really cool feel to it i think it's a good album
0: mick sean and james from corners of sanctuary i'll tell you i i personally i got i have read a lot of the reviews and and then i I've
9: recently you know because i thought we were we were being quizzed on this one particular um <laughs> uh, i i went back and i read a lot of the reviews and then some more you know more recent ones and and i personally have mixed reviews about it um but that's just you know i I was never a huge grunge guy, so that particular element it, it it gets on my nerves after a while um however, musically that album is spot on it's definitely it's definitely um a demonstration of a of a band maturing musically and going into
10: new directions and not afraid to do so at all well, I think i the thing with the with the appealing to the grunge crowd on that album and I heard a lot of this, you know, when it came out. Like when it came out the first song I heard was Only. And and I couldn't I thought it was the worst song I I'd, I'd heard Anthrax ever do. And um and you could tell it was written around um uh the the new, you know, with John Bush's vocals, they were going to write around his voice, you know. Right. Um cuz he he kind of appealed I think more to to that kind of crowd. Like I think they picked up a lot of those fans. With the armor chain with, with yeah well no with the oh, with run the grunge. with the grungier oh,
1: yeah.
10: um kind of you know with i i hate even saying grunge but i mean
1: well, with that's that kind that's of with that kind called, of
10: crowd, I mean, yeah
9: actually that album's listed as uh what like what the, uh I don't know, alternative metal or something like that, or it, it had, yeah, because they
10: did more of the strumming, open notes that a lot of the grunge bands were doing, like the open, you know what I mean. There was no, not a,
7: well, well I,
9: you know, I, I think I think what brought a lot of that element again <laughs> was that key sig- the key signature, the pitch,
7: yeah, and, and the, his and,
9: and, and yeah, and the yeah. vocals, the delivery, and and the, the way they trail
10: off certain pieces we're, of the, the vocals. Joey was more of a singing high note guy, you know. John Bush was more of that kind of raw. Yeah. Uh,
9: yeah, I mean, again, I mean.
10: And there's some great songs. Yeah, out. I mean, I I, my I, my favorite is is
9: uh High Pro Glow. High Pro it's Glow. About, it, definitely, it definitely it yeah. definitely has a groove to it, and you know the some of the other songs again, they seem like they kind of mesh together because of that vocal, that range that 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 grunge vocal range is, it's just it just caps off, and then when they want to change it, they yell. <laughs> yeah,
10: yeah you can like, hear you can hear how they were trying to appeal. Yeah, absolutely, I get it. I, I well, think I mean, they, they won't tell of, you this, well, part, but you well, can hear. part of it is the producer that they used because, yeah. you know, um, he had just
9: got done. He gave you know, like, an Allison Chain, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, he so. kind of gave them
10: that kind of let's do this, yeah. let's do that kind. And, of And thing, I mean, you know. you know,
9: and they probably they were probably seeking that out as well. I mean, you just don't, you know, at that it was just and they were changing album. and they
10: were changing singers, singers too. Right. So, so you
9: got you know, I mean, to got to try to you got to So kind of the same thing that the Blacks, you know, um, um back with that back, back in Black, you know, you get the you try to get the the uh, the producer at the time that can give you that sound and mm-hmm. and catapult you. Yeah, Pantera did it.
7: I mean, <laughs> I was <laughs> a big
10: I was a big fistful of metal, spreading the piece. Yeah, and I, mean,
9: I, I and thought and they, they
10: were classic Anthrax, and then Persistence yeah. of thought came out and that was a that was an amazing album i mean that was like the most underrated album you know of that time i think and that was the last i believe that was the last one joey was on yeah
9: and you know who the hell are we the album went gold
10: yeah <laughs> <laughs> sure, I <mean>, yeah somehow <laughs> somehow it, it like so, i said it drew know, a whole new fan i mean, but, fan you know, I mean when,
9: when what year was that that's uh, 93 i think 93. 93 or so i mean look, yeah. i mean the whole metal scene was completely changing like metal, that what we knew metal to be was was falling apart faster than you could fucking shake a stick. So, you know, everybody was fucking scrambling. Everybody. I mean, you know, a real quick story at the time. Well, I tried. What was it? Ninety one, right? We we were in another band. It, it, unfortunately, it was the tail end of that band, but we had gotten uh, picked up by EMI Records at the time. Um, and we did some demos, you know, we've been brought in, we did some demos for them. Things were, you know, seeming to go the way we wanted. And then, then the bottom fell out of everything and we were let go and nothing was ever released. And that's just the way it, you know, happened. And then Nirvana came out and changed the whole world. <laughs> and then the rest, for four of, years and the rest of us were <laughs> out of a job for a while. But there you have it
1: that's that's your um disdain for the grunge movement,
9: <laughs> oh yeah, and there a lot of us say, at this at our age these- you know guys we have a disdain for the grunge movement. We were wearing fucking flannels long before they were that's
10: right,
11: <laughs> of course ours was under under a jack under a leather jacket right. <laughs> the fucking
1: breakfast club came out before grunge that's know. right, man Chet <laughs> oh. Nelson. <laughs> that's right.
10: <laughs> the, the those are
6: actually
1: well-made
10: grunge. Yeah, oh, I because I was cold in the
0: winter.
12: <laughs> yeah. John still wears fucking flannels. I still <laughs> wear it. We're just get some warmth.
0: The mastermind behind Iced Earth, John Schaefer.
12: That that's the anthrax that I actually liked. I um I prefer those vocals, John Bush's vocals, far more than uh, Joey Belladonna's. It I just did. never felt like it was a match for the music. Right. You know, it's too clean and. You know but that's you know they did good it's cool but it's just for me i'd rather have a more aggressive raspy heavier sound singer to match the music right
0: tom potter of gun driver
12: yeah dude, well i mean anthrax one of the big four i mean how can you lose
8: the scott Eady riffing away from it with a rate with a riffing away uh
13: for you you know
8: every night and, you know there's i mean killer tunes on this
5: album you know uh one more, We're room for one more is one of the killer ones. Dude, freaking always killer. High Pro Glow is one of my favorite Anthrax songs of all time. You know, it's, it, dude, it's just you know. And then you get the freaking intro with the the bass and the drums, and it's so ominous sounding. I mean, there's guitar in there too, but like the the main thing is the bass and drums. And it just kicks off, and it's just freaking awesome tune. And uh, room for one more, and Potter's Fields, awesome. And uh, you know, Anthrax is you know they're like a working man's band. You know, they just go out and they kick ass. And that's what they do and it's kind of like how you do it and uh you know, I get an enormous amount of respect for them, uh, for them and I, uh, I love the music you know
0: From Australia Death Dealers and Blasted to Static's Stu Marshall yeah,
11: that started a phase for me I'm a Joey Belladonna fan um so when when the John Bush stuff came out I liked it but it was it sounded like a different band to me uh I, that's the that's my favorite album of that era though I think um
12: I think musically it was a pretty brave, brave statement
5: for uh, for Scotty in and the guys had a few big hits off it. I think only might be off that album.
4: Um, yeah, so that was a great song. Uh,
11: but it was a, they really transformed their sound entirely into a slightly different kind of Anthrax for me. But uh, you know, still still a cool album.
0: The man that has played with all your favorite bands, Gene Hoagland.
11: Yeah. And, you know, John Bush, what a great vocalist. And unfortunately, what a reverse Midas touch he has with any band he sings for. You know, like, uh, I remember, you know, back in the day, singing for Armand St. I mean, back when they were a club band, Metallica would go out and tell people, John Bush is our vocalist. James Hetfield was like, I'm the temporary singer. We're going to get John Bush. He's going to sing for us. The guy had a great voice. Um, I, I I remember listening to like the, the, the EP, the, the, um, Armored Saint three track EP with Lesson Well Learned and On the, On the Way and, uh, another song. And I used to think this guy's got a great voice, but it sounds like he's singing with marbles in his mouth. Um, and you know, it's like, okay, there's no, there's, it doesn't seem to be an Armored Saint. John Bush is one of the best vocalists, you know, raw metal vocalists out there. He, he should fit in really well with Anthrax. It just, you know, you got all the right pieces, but it just didn't seem to work. And granted, Anthrax was kind of a victim of the whole planet turning its its back on, on metal. And the fact that they didn't come roaring back with a savage sounding record, um, you know, I, like, uh, Anthrax was, you know, they, they were, for for me, they were kind of in, in that whole, like, you know, this is just my opinion as a metal fan, nothing more, but it's kind of like they always look to Metallica to see what their next move was going to be as well, which is, that's just, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, that's just the way it appeared to me, and I was really into metal, you know, I paid attention to all these fans, and, um, and with that album, they're like, okay, well, Metallica kind of, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to try to do a black album? I don't know. But hey, there's Nirvana. You know, I, they, that, that, the, the, they they changed up their sound so much. You know, like I remember hearing the album, like a, a bit of the album once, and it just seemed like it didn't even sound like Anthrax, you know, and, you know, more you know, more so with a new vocalist, you know, it just didn't seem like there was that classic Anthrax sound, which was a pretty up-tempo, pretty bouncy, you know, poppy thrash metal. Uh, it sounded like they just, you know, and I got to admit the song I'm most familiar with is only, and, and you know, that, that 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 wasn't a very Anthrax sounding song, so... You know, this is one that, you know, like I said, there's albums that I don't know much about, but I sure can't talk about them. (laughs) Uh, This is one of those albums, and it just kind of wasn't on my radar, you know. That's back when I was like, fuck, do SOD, shit, you know. Play on another SOD record, because I think SOD is the most, they are the big four, big five, you know. Like, they influenced so much, you know. I think Slayer took an, absolute influence on Rain and Blood from uh from Speaking with or Die. Short savage songs ripping like SOD was a
7: great
11: Slayer album, you know, Speaking with or Die was a great Slayer record. And even Slayer thought so. So they they you know, that was a big tribute to it, you know. Speaking with or Die, shit. How could you go from writing such a just amazing record to you know, to how do you top that? You know, and it, that's this kind of a shame. Hey, here's a really quick little project uh, that we're going to do for fun. We're going to have some fun with this, and it blows up and overshadows your real band. I mean, that's a tough shadow to step out from under. You know, it's like, well, uh, what what do you do? You know, so I guess kudos to Anthrax for not trying to sound like like S.O.D. or not trying to sound like uh, you know with with the Sound a white noise record, not trying to sound like, you know, among the living, but uh you know, I who knows? When you, uh, I, I always wondered, did anthrax write songs for anthrax or did they write songs for the masses? I couldn't tell. I don't know. Um but if you do have that sort of approach, I think you're doomed. You know, if you're if you're not writing songs for yourself and you're writing songs that are gonna appeal to people I think that's a misstep. Um, I'm not saying that's what they did, but it just, it, it always kind of appeared to me that way. So, you know, I know they got that $10 million deal with Island at the time, and that's, you know, boy, that's a lot of pressure. You know, you better write a fuck, th- you better give us a th- black album you know, who knows what, what, you know, who knows what the entire process was going in the writing the sound of white, white noise, but, uh, it did sound like it was a band under pressure of you have to deliver. If we don't care the music you deliver, you have to deliver dollar signs. And, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the evils of signing to a major label. And, you know, me, I've never been signed to one. I, I don't think. I can't remember, but I don't think I've ever been. Um, and, you know, it's that there's, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure going in, in, into the writing process and the recording process that
3: we as fans
11: are never aware of. But, uh, you know, all we can do is listen to the record, enjoy it, or not. Well, I mean... Sounds of White Noise sounded like it was the sounds of a lot of
14: pressure.
0: From the Decibel Geek Podcast, Aaron and Chris.
14: Sound of White Noise always will remind me of the end of my time in high school. And also it was a big transition period with uh, John Bush taking over vocals for Joey Belladonna. My best friend at the time worshipped the Belladonna era of this band. And he loved this era, this um, first record with Bush. But this was the last record he dug with them. That tells how good a record it was, because he didn't like much of the rec- stuff they put out afterwards. But I mean, you can't deny how powerful some of the songs on this are. You've got only Potter's Field, High Pro Glow, um, Black Lodge is a great melodic, yeah. you know, dark song. Even though, even though they put out three million remixes of it, and I have all of them. But uh, yeah, nice. Anth- Anthrax. Uh, Anthrax, I think, songwriting wise really came of age with this record. Um, I think people stopped looking at them as just a goofy novelty band that had Ninja Turtles on their guitars and stuff. So I think this record really um, demonstrates how serious of a rock band they could be, and they deserve all the credit in the world for it.
10: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, in, before that, like you say, they were kind of you know, with I Am The Man and all that stuff, they were kind of they were a metal band, but they were kind of looked at as they were kind of goofy. You know, this was not just a new lead singer for the band Anthrax. This was a total relaunch for this band. And it was a kick in the ass that they really needed. And this was a killer album that really set the tone for what Anthrax would become known for being about. And that's being a kick-ass metal band. And not so much of a joke as a funny band, you know, hanging out with rappers and doing this and that. This was a metal album through and through, and I loved it. Sound of White Noise by Anthrax. If you haven't heard it, you need to.
0: From Hades and nonfiction lead singer, Alan Tecchio.
11: Yeah, I'm going to really look like an idiot here because I, I know John Bush. And he's a great guy. And I don't have that record. Um, <laughs> when it came out, I know it was a huge point of contention and controversy that they were replacing, you know, uh, oh my God, I think I'm getting pulled over. That they were replacing him on right. the, uh, the, in the band. Right. So, you know, shit, dude, I think I'm going to have to
4: get a call back from you because I believe I'm getting pulled over okay. at the very um, No very moment.
1: No problem at all. Um, You am going to hit you up like in an hour or so, or...? Yeah,
7: hit me up in like a half hour or so, if you would.
1: Okay, yeah, no problem. Oh, wait a minute,
2: wait a minute, wait a minute. I might not be getting pulled over. I think he's okay. pulling over the truck.
11: Dude picture I am so lucky. <laughs> I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky because I turned my radar detective down to do this interview. And then right. just saw the light I just saw the lights pop up on it and then I saw the cop and then I saw him turn his lights on to pull out. And he grabbed the big dump truck that I was passing, so I don't know how he got it instead of me. But wow. uh grace of God. Grace of
7: God. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> Alright, so let's keep going. <laughs> uh, okay.
1: Um Do you want to mention anything else regarding uh, Anthrax, or should I just jump to the next Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, The the record they did, the
11: last record with Bush, was actually my favorite, Uh, We've Come For You All. Right. I just thought that they stepped it up, and the reps were great, and I really had totally lost interest in them at that point. I mean, I knew about all the drama with Joey and all that stuff. Uh, Later on with that other guy, I guess his name was Dan. And it just seemed like... It just seemed like everything that goes wrong with the band um, when it becomes a business, you know, it just, it just seemed to be like this bad scene. And then, from out of nowhere, when comes Through Noel comes out, and I was like, this record has amazing songs on it. But mm-hmm. I guess that was sort of at the end of John's tenure with them, so I don't know what happened with that. I think I went to see them at the Stone point on that tour, if I'm not mistaken, but that was it, and then it just kind of fizzled into nothing. I know they're back now with Joey, and they're doing the Big Four and stuff, and and God bless them, I think that's great. But uh, that particular Sound of White Noise record, I don't really know I never got it, and I don't really know uh, any of the songs on it except for Only, I think that was the single, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so that song was cool, but um, I don't know the rest of
7: the record enough to really comment on it.
0: Josh Christian of Toxic. Um, yeah,
12: I, I can, I know, uh, Bill and I both know, right? Do you know Joey Bill?
13: Yeah, I've, I've uh, had a, a couple of, uh, meetings with him here and there since he's, yeah. he's in our area.
12: Yeah, Joey Belladonna lives in a town very close. To, we're in the Syracuse, upstate New York, Syracuse area, and Joey's from up here, and I'm originally from down by the city, and when Anthrax was taking off in the early to mid-'80s, Neil Turbin, um, their original singer, uh, I had friends that, uh, friends with in common. So, um, hold on a second, Sorry. My dog barking.
7: Um,
12: so, <laughs> hold on. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. So again, kind of a local band Anthrax taken off and it's, it's really cool. I'm happy for them. They're a good bunch of guys. Um, I'm happy that they had the career that they had. They, it really, worked out well for anthrax they got lucky and that's you know how it works some people get the luck of the draw when it comes to this industry and uh, they were one of the bands you look at them they ended up on the big four tour uh which was huge for them i really felt like that revived their careers a little bit um not that they were waning but that was a big push for them and uh yeah anthrax is awesome man we're we cover an anthrax song right now
1: what uh what track is that
12: Metal Thrashing Mad. Ah, okay. We're going to we're going to Latin America in two weeks and that's part of our set.
0: The man has done everything. Fanzines, various podcasts. And is the director and producer for the documentary Inside LA Metal. Bob, now Bendian.
1: Okay. Um Sound of White Noise for me anyway. I remember uh getting the single for only. I was in college radio at the time. It was a it was a very plain sort of um, sleeve for the CD. It was white, and it just said only on it. And I don't even remember mm-hmm. if it mentioned that it was anthrax or not, because I remember at the time there were bands that, because of you know the grunge movement and whatnot, what stations and PR people and labels were focusing towards, a lot of other bands were sending you know, their material out that way so that people wouldn't be judgmental when they saw the name on it. Right. And I I remember going into a studio that we had, a, a recording studio there at the college radio station, and cranking the song up and calling another host in and saying, hey, who do you, who do you think this is? And the first thing that they said, wow, this sounds a lot like Armored Saint. Yeah. And. Yeah we sort of put two and two together this has to be anthrax so um for you being on the other side of things being out there on the west coast and actually having a history with the band what was it like for you to find out that uh john was actually joining anthrax
11: well uh, for one that's interesting i i didn't know that they actually put out a promo single without the the name of the band that's that's uh, actually uh, uh pretty interesting um Well, you know, uh, John and I have been very close friends since 1982, since uh, the uh, early Armored Saint days. So I talked to John quite a bit, and when he first got the offer for Anthrax, he called me. And we were on the phone for like, you know, an hour or so. And uh, I remember it was uh, at a a time um, when uh, Armored Saint, you know, Dave Pritchard had recently passed. Uh they had done the uh um uh album with a uh, rain of fire, um uh Symbol of Salvation, uh which was an amazing album. And uh it did quite well for them. but it, you know, Armored Singh were one of those bands that just never could get to that next level. Uh, you know, and uh as a you know, everyone knows, you know, John got offered, you know, uh the Metallica position years ago and, and turned it down, but that was when Metallica and Armored Saint were around equal status. It was quite some time ago. And, and at this point, you know, as, as John mentions, uh, you know, Anthrax were obviously much bigger than Armored Saint at the time. And I think at that time, uh, you know, Armored Saint were kind of going through, through a different uh, a, a period. And they were kind of fluctuating, uh, you know, and they were, you know, they had got Jeff Duncan in the band who, did did, did a great job. And, uh, you know, he talked it over with all the guys in the band and he talked it over with me and several friends. And, you know, it was kind of obvious, like, dude, you know, this is your career, man. You got, you gotta go for it. And, uh, you know, and I think we, and the other guys said, Hey, you know, this, this doesn't necessarily mean the end of Armored Saint, you know, Armored Saint could still, you know, on Anthrax downtime or whatever, you could still put out records, you know, uh, cause at that time, even, I think Armand Shane, we only putting out records, uh, you know, uh, it had, you know, uh, it had been four years, I, I believe, uh, since symbol came out since, uh, you know, uh, uh, raising fear. So, um, it was the obvious choice. So I, I had known about it and he was telling me that, you know, everything that was going on, uh, through the whole process. And, uh, you know, of course, uh. Uh, this was just before grunge got real popular. This was like 92, I think, when this was all going down and uh, metal was still real big uh, in that sense and, you know, Electra I think Motley just got a $30 million deal with Electra, which was huge at the time. Uh, You know, still considered huge, but back then it was kind of unheard of. And uh, Antrax just signed to Electra and got like a $10 million deal. So you know, it was obvious that it was going to be a big thing with, with Anthrax, you know, on a new label and, uh, you know, all this stuff. And unfortunately, that was when, uh, just before Electra ended up going through that change and Sylvia Rung took over and kind of uh, pissed all the metal bands. But up until that point, you know, uh, Electra was a metal label with, you know, obviously Motley Crue and Metallica and uh, Dokken and, you know, Metal Church, you know, had been uh, on there. And so... Uh, you know, but unfortunately, um, you know, uh, it it, it didn't last, uh, but, uh, uh, but no, I mean, to go back to your question, yeah, it was, uh, uh, kind of the obvious choice and I think John made, made the right decision.
1: What was your impression of the material on the album once you actually got to hear it?
11: Well, it's funny because it only was the first song I heard as well. And that uh, a lot of people said, "Wow, it sounds like Armored Saint," and and that's the thing with John's voice. He's got one of those incredibly distinct voices that you really don't hear today uh, in hard rock or metal. I mean, you hear John Bush's voice, you know it's John Bush, and you obviously associate it with Anthrax. And I think musically, it did have a lot of Anthrax in it, you know. And uh, uh, but you listen to the rest of the record, and it's definitely. Uh, a different direction, and I think it, I think it was a smart direction. Listen, Anthrax kind of went through their stuff, and, and they were smart. They knew they had to change their sound a bit to, uh, you know, and you know, not to go grunge or go alternative, but at least kind of uh, focus their saw their sound into more of a '90s appeal, where it's not so, um, you know, '80s sounding. And of course, John is, is a much much different singer than Joey Belladonna, so he could do a lot. Different styles, and I know uh, you know the band, um, you know Charlie and Scott. I mean, they were really into you know bands like Soundgarden, and of course, a lot of the more industrial kind of bands. Uh, And they wanted to try new things, you know. And I think with Joey Belladonna, his voice was a little bit. He, I mean, you know, you you may know Joey is is his uh, because he's like the ultimate Journey fan. I mean, he's a huge AOR fan, and always was. He was never that much of a metal guy. And his vo- vo- vocals, definitely, uh, you know, y- you can hear that in his vocals. And I think John uh, and, uh, you know, the, the new direction of Anthrax definitely took it to a, the next level. And it was a great album. I thought it was fantastic. I think every song on there, particularly the song Invisible, I could still listen to that song. That intro to the song going into that riff. Uh, unbelievable song. Potter's Field. So many good tracks. And definitely, it, w- it was a new, new um, definitely a new sound for Anthrax. And it worked.
1: Did you get to see them at all during that yeah, tour?
11: I absolutely did. I saw that tour. They had a, a white zombie open for them on that tour and uh, they played, they headlined Irvine Meadows, uh, which was fantastic. Great show. And I actually saw them down in San Diego as well at a, a smaller, uh, amphitheater And, um, yeah, that was their, 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 their first tour, uh, here. And, uh, you know, anthrax are always a, a real tight band. And with John, at the helm. I mean, John's not, not only just an unbelievable singer, but he's an incredible frontman who anyone that's seen Armored Saint uh, live knows uh, what an incredible frontman John is. And he, uh, I think, really took took the band uh, to definitely a more metal level. I think Anthrax always was, uh, they were kind of thrashed, but kind of a little bit silly, you know, when they did, especially the I'm the Man and all that. They had a, a bit of humor. I think this really... You know, musically and lyrically on this album, it's, it's definitely a lot more serious a lot more focused and uh, uh, really, uh, you know, again, it uh, changes at the times. You know, the 80s was definitely a fun uh, time. And I think when the 90s, you know, lyrics and everything focused a little bit more on social and political issues. And uh, John uh, wrote some great lyrics. Him and Scotty and together wrote the lyrics on that album. And I think musically and lyrically, it, it just works. It's a great album, and, uh, you know, it was a great tour,
7: absolutely.
1: Looking back at uh, everything that he did with the band, um, does it surprise you that the band doesn't do more of his material live?
11: No, I don't think... I think... Uh, well, they don't do any of his material live, as far as I know, with Joey Bellagonna. Um And I think... Uh, I, I really don't think Joey could do, could do, uh, uh, could sing like John. I don't know how, I mean, Joey's a fantastic singer, don't get me wrong. And I know John obviously did a lot of the uh, uh, Joey Belladonna songs live, because, you know, people, you know, you know those were uh, the heart of, of Anthrax. But I think Anthrax are going more for a retro thing now. They're building off that. They put out a fantastic r- r- new record, or I guess semi-new, with, with uh Joey, I think they have another album uh, almost finished. Um, So, you know, they're great. I think uh, if if they were to go out and do John Bush material, they would have to go out with John Bush, you know. Uh, It's it's a whole different band, really. If if you look at that album, Stomp, and uh, some of the others, The Threat is Real, um, you know, it's, it's definitely differently musically. And I think, what they're doing now is kind of more of a a, a retro kind of thing, you know, which uh, started with the big four, you know, and it just kind of continued to haunt.
1: Do you think we would ever see a point? I know that John has said actually to you, and he's actually mentioned it during the interview I did with him, that possibly in the future he'd look to go out and do some of these songs again, you know, in a few spot dates here and there. But do you ever see a point where maybe the band itself Anthrax would want to hook up with John again and maybe do some select shows here and there? Or do you think they're just going to ride that retro trail sort of say uh from here on out?
11: I don't know. I mean John, you know, John says he's open to it. I mean John's, you know, got got a very successful uh, casting agency with his wife. He does it very well. And, um, you know, at that point there was a lot of shit going on with, well, we're getting Joey back in the van and then, no, they get John, you know, Dan Nelson and this and that. And, you know, between you and I, I just thought John Bush was getting dicked around. Um, uh, yeah. and you know, things have worked out. John's remained friends. I know he's really close with, with Scott. I, I don't think he's talked to Charlie much and I don't think there's really that a lot of bad blood and there shouldn't be, you know, I mean, it. John tried to, and, and John did him a favor when they needed a singer. He went on and did some European tours with them, you know, after he was out of the band. So, uh, I would love to see it. I would definitely go, you know, and, um, uh, I think, um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, what, what kind of bugged me is the way, uh, you know, John and, and myself heard, heard about everything was through the internet through, I think fully flabber mouth that <laughs> Joey was back in the band. And, uh, you know, that took everyone aback uh, and people, you know, uh, including myself, I'm like, you know, what the fuck, you know, but uh, I think since then there you know, there there are there are reasonable terms. I know John and, and Scott are on good terms and of course Joey Vera plays with Scott Ian in in another project. So um I could see it happening. I I would be there. I would love to see it, you know. I love those songs and I'd love to see them perform them live and I think there's a a big audience that would as well and uh uh, you know, it, it would be cool to, to see them just do select shows. And I think that's kind of what, what bands are doing nowadays, do certain festivals. And, you know, rather than having to go on tour, because that's, uh, you know, to do full scale tours all the time, you know, do weekend shows and this and that. And I think that might be a possibility with something like that to happen, do a few select shows with Andrax or John Bush, you know,
13: uh, who knows? Yeah.
11: Well, John is a level, John is a cool guy. he's one of the coolest guys, you know, and he's not gonna he's not big he's not those kind of real bitter guys that's gonna go off and like I said, John is doing great. He's got his casting agency, and when they offered to get back to him, he said, "Look it, you know, I'll do select shows. I'll help you out like he did help him out, which was great that he he sure. did those shows and he says, "But look it, I've got uh you know i'm I'm in business with my, uh you know his wife, and you know he also does a lot of voiceover he uh, i should let you know he did the voiceover for the new Inside Metal movie. Uh, I'll give a, a, a shameless plug here. Uh, L.A. Metal Scene explodes, which should be we should be premiering it in September uh, here in L.A. And he did the narration for that, and it, it came out fantastic. But you know, he does a, a voiceover, you know, for Burger King ads for a lot of stuff. So he keeps busy. So he does well. And the other thing that uh, that people need to understand and uh, is. Uh, For any band that's been together so long and had a certain sound uh, like Anthrax did with Joey Belladonna on vocals, I mean, obviously they had a a, a previous singer, but uh, everybody, you know, Neil Turbin, but everyone kind of recognizes Joey Belladonna as as the Anthrax singer throughout the 80s. Uh, There have been very few singers that could do what John did. Uh, Bruce Dickinson being one of them. Hager being one of them, uh, doing a whole different sound. Of course, Ronnie James Dio being one of them, and I think if Dio was to come in and and try to sing like Ozzy and Sabbath were to do Ozzy style Sabbath uh, stuff, it, it would not have worked. You know, they completely changed the sound, and Dio was the perfect singer. And it was kind of that instance with me. It was like when when John joined Anthrax. It was like, dude, it's, I mean, Armors, Saint? Sun Armors is one of my favorite bands. But here we had, uh, you know, Anthrax, a whole new Anthrax. And it was the same with Black Sabbath. I mean, people always say, uh, you know, Ozzy era, uh, Teo era. I probably prefer the, I mean, the Ozzy era Sabotage, my all time favorite album. But, you know, when it came to Technical Exity and Never Say Die, you could see the band was, was they needed new blood and Deal with the perfect guy to do it. Right. And absolute same thing with John Bush. There are very few singers that could have made it work. And although sales-wise, a lot of people said, well, those albums didn't sell as well. That was the industry, man. That was, like I said, for one, Elektra Records, when they, they, cleaned, they cleaned house, Sylvia Rohn took uh, control. Uh, the music changed. As you know, it became all grunge and alternative after that. So stylistically, uh, it was different. But they put up some... High quality records, my favorite being the following album, Tom 442. So there's very few singers that are able to do it. You know, it didn't work with Gary Sharon, with Van Halen, and it's not Gary Sharon's fault. I think it was the band's fault. The band didn't adapt. I mean, that album sucked, and it wasn't Gary Sharon that sucked. The song sucked, the production sucked, you know. Uh, uh, know? Uh, And I think the same thing with, uh, you know, a lot of bands, And, and with John and Anthrax. It gave the band new blood. It was a complete different sound. Now, if, if they were to go and remake, uh, uh, what was their last album before? Persistence of Time? I think that was the last right. one. Mm-hmm. Joey, if they were to go on that same route, it, it, it just wouldn't have worked for 1992. They needed that change, and John was the perfect singer to do it. And I don't think Anthrax gives John enough credit for keeping their legacy alive, because you know, if they had gone with any other singer, I don't think uh, Anthrax would have done would have would have lasted through the 90s. You know, to to be honest, and they lost a good 12 years with uh, John Bush on vocals. So, um, you know, there you go.
0: He produced Anthrax's first single, Ross the Boss."
7: Uh, <laughs> well, I produced
5: the Anthrax's first single. Um, nice guys. Uh, we're playing with them on the Motorhead Motorboat Cruise, September 28th. But uh, I don't really listen to their records.
1: Okay. What was it like working with them in a production capacity?
5: It was the first time they were in the studio that was amazing. With uh, Neil Turbin. And Danny, uh, Danny, what's his face? The other guitar player.
1: Spitz. Spitz. Correct.
0: He produced Fistful of Metal and Spreading the Disease, The Rod's Carl Kennedy.
1: You worked with them basically on their first three releases. How different do you see your work with them when you had them in the studio, to what they progressed to later on?
6: Um, I think it's
11: just been an evolution in terms of maturity. I don't know that I see any major, um, you know, anything that's... They've been true to their roots from day one, you know? They, I don't see any any um, difference. In fact, you know, I mean, they were... When uh, "I'm The Man was released, you know, I wasn't surprised at all because they were... They were listening to NWA. They were totally into rap, They're, you know, way before the curve. and Those guys were just all over it. So I-, I wasn't surprised by any of that. So for me, I just hear an evolution. They've gotten tighter. They've gotten better um, as musicians. But, um, you know, it's not like I hear anthrax with the symphony orchestra now. The
0: Shred Lord, Joe Stump. Um, that, that, was, that was, you know like like at the time that was back
11: when anthrax i remember at the time i was actually
13: you know the only thing i could add to that is like
11: i was playing in joey belladonna's solo project back at the time that that record actually came out and that was a that was right when anthrax signed a big deal with electra um and you know and they 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 had the that was their first record for electra after they left Megaforce it got a big huge deal and um and you know, it was going. It was um, you know, kind of a risky thing for them because they had been with Joey for such a long time, and then they have a brand new singer, and kind of a brand new sound. But um, but you know, for the era that that record came out, since it was kind of in you know the height of the grunge era, you know, the thickness of John Bush's voice and that kind of um dark production of the record and everything really um you know it was it 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 did very well for them at the time. So it ended up
13: being uh you know, ended up working out really well for them at that particular time. And, you know, since then, they've reunited with um, Belladonna and stuff, so.
1: With so Joey, yeah. what did you, you played, you toured with him, or did you do any work on his oh, solo work?
11: I, um, I, I did some, you know, I did some shows with them, and I had some, me and some other guys were playing with him. And then, um, you know, he ended up, um, scrapping the whole thing and just getting some, you know, when he ended up getting his own deal for Ma- with Mausoleum, he ended up, you know, we were all like much fl- better players than the guys
12: he got, you know, he just got a bunch of guys that were working at the supermarket that he could not pay any money to, you know what I mean? Cause he was all about keeping all of that for himself as opposed to,
13: um, you know, having some legit guys in the bands and everything.
1: Interesting.
11: Okay. Yeah. 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 So, 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 you know, so so it was cool, you know. I mean, you know, you know, it was kind of wacky at the time. So so it was
13: an experience, you know.
1: Okay, so basically, the material that you had worked on with him was scrapped for the new stuff. Yeah, I
11: yeah. Well, he had some tunes left over that he had written. He had a bunch of tunes left over that he had written with um, Paul Crook, who who was you know who later on ended up playing guitar for Anthrax for a short period of time before Rob Gagliano.
14: Right,
11: yeah you know so- so Joey had these these tunes he wrote with Paul Crook, and you know, and I was like playing some of those and adding a few of my own tunes, but my stuff was much more European, and you know Paul's stuff was much more in the pocket for you know for what Joey was doing, like you know heavier and thrash stuff, and you know and some tuned down stuff where my stuff was much more European because of my influences, so
7: so
0: it
1: right. just as well, it didn't work out.
0: He stood in for Scotty and, back in 2011, Andreas Kisser of Sepultura.
1: The next album I wanted to ask you about is Sound of White Noise by Anthrax. Uh, again, I, when doing this, I, I, you know, I had my head going and I started to see a lot of different parallels also between Anthrax and Sepultura in the sense that both bands sort of brought upon an unorthodox approach to metal, brought in different flavors that other bands
7: yeah.
1: Um, doing, and at the same time, both bands at a critical point in time had a big switch with their lead singers. Yeah. Um How much can you relate to what Anthrax had to go through when they switched to John Bush, considering what you had to go through?
11: Um, it's a very interesting point. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Uh. How how much or I mean, it's there, you know, it's, it's definitely a, an an influence, an input. Um, I think uh, Derek joined before John Bush, I think, right? What time, jo- when John Bush joined Anthrax for the first 92.
1: time? 92. M- n- yeah, and the album came out in 93.
11: Yeah, so it was before Derek, yes. Um, and and uh, a few other bands, you know, of course, like Maiden and Sabbath and... And Van Halen, you know that that kind of stuff that really showed that uh, anything is possible, you know, and uh, and it's great because Anthrax tried and and did a different sound, of course, you know, because you have the different singer, different lyric approach, and different melodies, or you know uh, Rage Against the Machine and Alter Slave, you know, they changed the name, but it's basically the same band with a different singer, you know, and that's what uh, Sabbath was and Van Halen was and. And sepultura as well, you know. So we weren't scared really to to be different, you know. Uh, we we suffered a lot of uh, pressure to to try to continue the same formula, try to find a, a max clone, you know, either visually or 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 you know technically with voice uh, sounding the same and stuff. But we we didn't want to do that, you know. Um, we wanted to try to do something different. Different uh, with different people and different musicians that uh, will bring something different, you know. Otherwise you'll be lost in time trying to repeat something that is not there anymore and and you, you know, you you lose your identity, you know, after a while. You have to, to be yourself, you know. And I respect uh, Sepultura's past so much, you know, uh, not only the Max era, but uh, up until yesterday, <laughs> you know, so uh, I mean, it's a beautiful history and stuff and uh, we play all and that's what we are, you know, we play some from Best of Devastation that neither me, Derek or, or Eloy was there, you know, but uh, we represent the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we are not celebrating a, here 30 years like personal achievements, but uh, something very mo- uh, bigger, you know, bigger than that. I mean, it's, it's the whole Sepultura package, you know, so... um. And it's great that we we went through that way, uh, through that uh, that choice, you know, of doing something different. Uh, was a it, it is a hard road, but uh, ain't no easy road, you know, anywhere. You know, somehow we're gonna have to defend an idea, and might as well defend something you really believed in it, you know, on it. So, uh, um, yeah, Anthrax was 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 an influence. I mean, they brought rap to their music without being scared. They changed their visual, you know trying to use Bermudas and more colorful things and stuff. And who cares, you know, fuck it. I mean, they, they're living their, their momentum. You know, they were very honest to themselves. And, uh, uh, if you like or not, there's another story, you know, but, uh, they were being themselves and, and they did something that no other band did, you know, it was a great mixture, a very natural way of mixing because it was between people that admire each other, you know, backstage and stuff. So they were jamming, you know, so, uh, um, it's great, you know, I think that kind of feeling really is something that uh, we took uh, to, for us, you know, and and, uh, and did the best we could, you know, so um, that's why I guess we're still here, you know,
1: jamming. You helped fill in when Scott was was away with Anthrax, and you actually got to play the song only off yeah. of The Void Noise. What was it like to play that track live, and do you have any other favorites that you would have liked to have played live off of this album?
11: I don't know man, it's really really hard. I mean, uh, you know, Joe Belladonna is back and stuff and you know, he wanted to do his own stuff, you know. Even even songs from the first album, you know, we we, we practice and stuff, but they never put it on the on the on the set list. Of course we were playing the, the big four shows, it was it were five big four shows, like an hour, you know, set for N tracks. And then we did extra shows like headliner an hour and a half or so, so we could play uh, extra songs but uh you know, Belladonna was was uh, satisfied with only, and and it's a great song. You know, I mean, uh, uh, it's one of the best songs that Anthrax ever did. You know, but um, I mean, I really didn't uh, went to that uh, to that road as well. The same with Scorpions. You know, I could, you know, I cannot really change what um, what they they have in mind right there. You know, I mean, we have only one day to practice. Of course, I have six months to prepare myself. I knew the songs, you know, backing vocals which Scott does a lot, you know. Uh, Frank Bello really helped me a lot on that part, like, you know, trying to do uh, together with me some other stuff. And um, But, uh, you know, we had a set list in mind, and we had a mission, <laughs> and uh, and no experimentation, you know, just really represent what on tracks we wanted to, to do it. and I was there for, for that, you know. So uh, um, I really didn't want to change that kind of stuff, and I was so happy and glad that we played, you know, only, and not only on the um, on the headline shows, but uh, also on the big four shows, you know, which uh, was great, and and the response was amazing for the crowd, you know. It's great to see and to hear La Donna singing that kind of stuff, you know. I think they could do more, but um, I mean, of course, you guys, uh, uh, one is gonna always, uh, you know, push to your own stuff, you know. But uh, it's in- in- interesting to see that, like Dio singing singing uh, Aussie, or you know. I wish I could could hear all the singing in you know. Who knows? <laughs> it would be great, you know. But uh, you know, ego trips and all that bullshit, you know, never gonna happen. But uh, I'm I'm really I really respect uh, Belladonna for you know for doing that and doing so well, you know, like he was one of his own songs. You know, it's great.
1: Okay, and what was it like for you to have Anthrax to refuse resist during these shows? Yeah, there was a condition
11: on my contract. Now. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean, Scott Ian always, you know, mentioned Refuse Resist as one of the the songs that, uh, one of the best songs for him, you know. Uh, he really uh, loved that kind of stuff. He really loved AD and stuff. And uh, I think it was, was great, you know, just a, a, a show of respect, you know, for Sepultura, for myself, uh, you know, to play a little bit of Sepultura there um, uh, as an intro for I Am The Law, you know, was, was amazing also the the symbol that they have you know the uh, always uses the same shirt you know all the band members with the 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 symbol with the american flag and you know um uh, and they dated the same symbol with the brazilian flag just for myself and you know it was, was amazing you know um it, it, it you know i felt really home you know i felt like a part of the band and and uh that's the way it's supposed to be you know just go there and enjoy yourself and and play the riffs and the music and and not being so uptight and you know thinking too much, you know, you just have really to to let it flow and and that's what it happened, you know, it was amazing, and uh, I, I'm so you know thankful for 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 that uh, opportunity, you know, with so many guitar players that they know around the world and history and you know I'm so so glad they thought about me, <laughs> and uh, it was was great, you know, it, uh, one of the best experiences in my life for sure.
0: He toured with Anthrax and is a part of Modern Sister with Scott Ian, Armored Saints, Joey Vera.
1: When John left Armored Saints, I should say, and joined Anthrax, how did you find out about his his decision to leave?
13: Yeah, he he um he actually had told me privately on the side um that he had gotten the call. And um it was um shoot, I think it was right before I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was right around the end of the symbol cycle and we were we were just about going back into um to start writing for a follow-up symbol. Now, much to our uh sort of dismay though, because we weren't uh we we it was so much to do symbol emotionally and everything that we wanted we wanted more from Symbol. We wanted more, we wanted to continue to tour more and to play more and to work the record more. But the uh, record label had said, um, look, you know, sales have just completely, you know, completely stopped. You know, it's just, it's kind of dead in the water. You need to go back and write another record. And we were like, Oh no, you know, we, we just, we were just like, no, we, we, we don't want to, you <laughs> know, we, we need to we try to work this more, you know. So it was a little bit of a kind of a bummer. And um, that created a lot of tension in the band. Um, we started having arguments and pe- we started saying, you know, maybe we should change the name of a band. And like, maybe we shouldn't write songs like this. We should go like that. And again, like I said before, we at this time, we were sort of in this transition period where there was no real leader in the band. And so it just was there's a little bit of chaos going on inside the group. That's right when the time when John got the call. So he sort of pulled me aside and told me what was going on and um you know I have to tell you honestly at that moment I was like a little bit relieved that um that that was happening and I said, "You know what? Um I think that you have to check this out, you know. I actually encouraged him to to go see you know and it was only a, a phone call was really just to come and jam it wasn't like hey come join our band it was like come spend some time with us we'll rehearse we'll we'll pull around we'll hang out for a little bit get to know you and um we'll see where it goes from there so my thing to him was like you know i could sense in his voice that he was um he had some reluctance but he also felt i could sense that he felt like it was like it just could be an exciting thing for him to do and there was some unknown territory that he maybe he should go look at so i i've known him since we're 9 years old and i knew that in his heart that was something he really felt like he needed to do so who am I to like say, you know, nah, man, stay here. It's like horrible. We're all fighting and the record's dead in the water. and You know, I mean, we've been, we've been slugging it out for like 11 years at that point. Like, who am I to tell him that? I mean, he's like my best friend in the world. So I said, dude, I think I think you should at least check it out, you know, and if you don't do this, you, you're probably going to resent me of all, of all of us. You know, if I try to make you stay here, you're going to blame me if if we don't ever get out of this rut and become successful. And so I said that none of us want that. You don't want that. I don't want that. So I think you should go check it out. So he, we went and did this gig in Hawaii and this was right at that time. Um, he told everyone on the way back from the Hawaiian, we played this gig with Overkill over there. And on the way home is when he told everybody and everybody was just like shocked, like completely shocked. And, uh, but when we came home for that and, um, I just sort of had this kind of weird sense of relief. Like this is exactly what we need right now. We need a break. And, um, I didn't know. I really didn't know that we would, it would be a break and that we would never play together and or that we'd ever get back together. I I could never foresee that far ahead. So I just, I just knew that we needed an indefinite hiatus. And um, it was harder for the other guys though. They were really sort of shocked. And I think that some of them, not all of them, but I think some of them felt really betrayed and hurt at the time. And those heels took a little while to get over uh, several years, I might add. Um, but, um, you know, that's all water under the bridge now. And we all see what that it was a, clearly it was a, a necessity and, um, you know, that was this, that was the vibe then. And I think it was a necessary thing.
1: Okay. And what was your thought or what, what are your thoughts on the album once you actually got to hear it sound of white noise?
13: Oh, it was exciting. It was great. You know, I mean, certainly just hearing John's voice anywhere is is uh, is a good thing. So, I mean, we John's been on our band and he's been our singer for so long. But then when we heard him on this record, it just felt right. I mean, you just hear his him singing and he just is a good singer. So it just sounded right. Um, especially when the first song I think everybody heard was only. And it was like, well, you know, there was immediate like comparisons to Armored Saint because, (laughs) but it's John singing, you know. So it was that was the obvious thing to say. It's like the easiest thing to say is, well, it sounds like Armored Saint, but well, it's John singing, you know. But the the band doesn't necessarily sound like Armored Saint. It's it's uh, Anthrax with John Bush singing. Um, So it was a new identity, I think, for the band Anthrax and um, and, that, you know, again, they might have been in the same boat we were where they needed a change and they needed to do something different. And that was a great thing for them to do. And I think John was a perfect choice for them. And they made a great record. There's a lot of great songs on the record. Um, it's got great production from Dave Jordan, which which ironically had done Symbol of Salvation the year prior. So there's this another sort of connection we need there. And, um, You know, it was a good shot in the arm, I think, for Anthrax. And, you know, John probably had some, uh, maybe in hindsight, realized he had some proving to do with the old fans. And, um, you know, that took some time. And I think that a lot of people um, accepted John. And um, it's cool now because you look back and you look on Wikipedia, for instance, and it says the Bush era. So, I mean, he's actually got his own era, you know, and it's it's cool. You know?
1: Years later, you were able to become part of the band after Frank Bello had left. What were some of your favorite tracks off of this album to play live? Yeah, I,
13: I'm trying to remember. We were, tra- we were touring for We've Come For You All. So we played uh, several songs from that record and then, of course, a lot of the old classics. Um, I believe the only song we played was Only... Um, and, you know, only this, I mean, it's such a good song anyway, um, that um, it was just a fun song to play live also, you know. Um, so that was, that was a blast. And we may have played, um, we may have played one other song. Oh, we did play, is it Room for One More also on that record? Um, we played that a few times as well. Um, and that's a fun song to play too. But you know, only was a staple. I mean, we played it; it was a big song, and it was we played it every single show. And so that was that was awesome. The crowd would just go nuts, and it was fun. It was fun to play.
0: The legendary drummer of Anthrax, Charlie Benante.
11: Well, this you can almost say it was like our Back in Black or our Fifty One Fifty.
1: I don't know. I'd, I'd go with Back in Black, but Fifty One Fifty. I don't know, man. I I think this, and not to kiss your ass or anything, but Sound the Void Noise is almost like a long lost girlfriend, man. I spent so much time with that album that, I mean, I think it crushes Fifty One Fifty. But um. <laughs> I mean,
11: it, I mean it in the in the sense that uh, me and Chris Jericho always have these these talks about. Um, like I'll get a text from Chris and he'll say, best five records that came out with the changing of a singer in the band. You know, the band had to have success prior to that with another singer, and then they made the change for the singer. So Chris's top five is Back in Black, Sound of White Noise, 5150. God, I can't remember the other ones he chose. We always have these type of talks. So for me, Sound of White Noise was a, a, liber, a, a watershed moment for me. It was um, a very different time for me because prior to that I was writing music that was very fast and, uh, you know, in that realm. Um, What Sound of White Noise gave me the
7: opportunity to do
11: was reach within and pull out these other type of songs that were always
3: inside but were afraid to to do on previous Anthrax records.
1: Looking back, do you feel that it still holds up there? with some of these other classic albums
11: i love that record and it was our first record with john and the band and uh the time of the band was such a great time of such a positive vibe and it was uh musically speaking it was beautiful the way stuff was just coming out i mean you'd think of that when i look at that record and i even think of just the first side of that record uh there's like hits all over that first side yeah. that always get played live you know, we never came out of the set when John was in the band. It was just a great, it was a great time for us, and that that record really did well for us as well. So I was really happy at that moment.
0: Lead singer of the Sound of White Noise, Armored Saints, John Bush.
1: When it came to writing Sound of White Noise, what was the first big difference you noticed as opposed to working with Armored Saint?
11: Well, the first thing we did is we. I think one of the important things for me by joining Anthrax was going to be to be part of the writing process. You know, I had always been the main lyricist, insane, obviously, and um, I wanted, when I joined Anthrax, I wanted to, I didn't necessarily want to say, I'm writing all the lyrics, but I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want to come in and just kind of be told what to sing. And um you know, just like here's the lyric sheet and this is what you're doing. That would have been just to me like a, a part of my creative process. I wasn't going to be doing, so I, I thought that was important that I that I said, hey, I gotta I gotta be involved with in this. I don't have to have the whole thing, um, but I do want to be a part of it. And they said we want you to be. So I said, well, let, let's why don't we just see if we can write something together? You know, before we actually. I, don't, I, yeah, I guess I, I had such a hard time knowing I was going to be leaving Armored Sane at that time that I, I just wanted to, I was probably over meticulous as to the things I was choosing to do um, in terms of joining or not joining the band, and um, I said, let's write, let's try to write a song, and the first thing we did was, I think Scott had a, a portion of Only, the music was completed, or pretty close, and so we tried to finish it, and it just I think we wrote it in like an hour and completed it and did a demo and we're like, wow, there's the song. And uh, it was quite obvious that it was a great song. So um, I think there was kind of, there was no turning back at that point. It was full steam ahead, not to quote my own self. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, it was obvious that it was it was a good um, writing arrangement that we had developed in one song. So,
1: Did yeah. you, Realized that ma- that the material itself was going to be as special as it actually turned out?
11: Um, I think that, you know, it was a time, again, when uh, everything was kind of changing in hard rock and metal. Um, you know, it was 92, and obviously, you know, <clears throat> bands like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains were having a big impact on on hard rock and, yeah. and you know, kind of the metamorphosis of, of that style of music. And... And they were great bands. You know, Faith No More, I mean, we love those bands. To this day, I still, all those bands I love. I think they're some of the best bands of all time in hard rock and heavy metal. Those three I just named, Pearl Jam included. So, um, you know, I think that it, we were embracing that. Um, you know, and we knew that the sound was going to be changing because of the voice change. Um, you know, obviously me and Joey have a different sound to our voices. And so and when, you, when you make a singer change, no matter what, it's going to sound a little different. Um, and I think the band was ready to kind of, uh, kind of embrace a different, somewhat of a different style too. Um, and so we just, we went with it, you know, and it was one of the co- complicated things later in life that we kind of always had to try to convince people, well, we're the same band. It's the same anthrax. I mean, we, we probably didn't countless interviews or we had to try to convince you know, the public, oh, well, we're, we're the same band, but, you know, in all honesty, now looking back, it was kind of a different band. So, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we were just trying to like make making sure, trying to make sure that the, uh, the fan base wasn't going to leave or move on. But, you know, in the end, I, I think sound of white noise was a, was a record that was actually probably ahead of its time almost. Um, uh, I don't know. I think it was, it was, if it came out maybe a couple of years later, maybe it would have been even bigger or even something that was more uh, focused on. Who knows? But it was a big record. I mean, we sold over, I think a million records worldwide and it was a gold album in America, my one and only gold album. So, it's an amazing record. Did
1: you have any say in bringing Dave Jordan into the process? Um, I don't
11: know. It, I don't think it was my idea by any means. I think he was already somebody that the band was wanting to work with. And I had just worked with Dave, which was uh, kind of funny, you know, on Symbol of Salvation. So, and I loved Dave. He was awesome and just a real creative guy and a funny character and um and he had just made some great records besides Symbol of Salvation with Allison Chains and "Jane's Addiction. So um, he was a happening guy. So when they wanted to work with Dave, I said, yeah, I endorse that completely.
1: Okay, and there are tracks off of this album that obviously became staples in the band's live show during your era. Uh, are there any tracks that still elicit you know a lot of enjoyment when listening to them or do you have any fond thoughts about playing them live or do you miss playing any of these songs live yeah i mean root for one more
11: obviously was a real popular song um high, Pro Low" as well um i love potter field i think that's a great way to start the record off um black lodge was always a cool you know different song we had the guy angelo Baladamente who worked on a lot of um, film scores and stuff. Uh, do the keyboards on that record and kind of took it to a whole nother level, and that was really neat to have him work with him, with the band. Um, so that was real special. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I wish the band played some of these songs live. To be honest with you, I really do. Um, I understand why they don't because you know they have a have plenty of a catalog prior to that record and they have new material now too and I don't certainly don't blame Joey Belladonna for not really wanting to in all honesty but I wish they would um you know because I do think there's some great songs in that record so uh, you know what are you going to do but um yeah you know I, I, some of those songs like Room and Only and High Pro Glow they were always great songs live
1: would you ever consider putting a band together to play some of this material live? Um, you know, it's something that I've
11: entertained here and there. I would never want to do any kind of like major tour or anything like that. I think that maybe one day I could do like a couple of shows where I did put something together and played, you know... I mean, there was four albums of material that I sang on, so we could probably put a pretty good... Headline set together of material from those records. Um, I've thought about it, but it's not like something I'm yearning to do today. Uh, maybe one day. And again, I don't necessarily want to go do a tour. It'd probably be like maybe a couple of shows, and I don't know where that would be. Um, and, you know, there'd be a few music- musicians that we could probably see if they'd be interested in doing it, even people that might have been associated with the band during different times. So, um but like I said it's it's not something that I'm working on. It's just, you know, something that is in the back of my mind. It would be fun to sing some of those songs live at some point, but you know, it's right now it's it's not anywhere in my my current mind or focus.
1: Gotcha. Okay. And in retrospect, you just mentioned that the album was your one and only gold album. Um where would you say it lies in the importance of your career No, well, it's
11: probably you know it's not one of the most important i mean it's certainly one of the most important records that i've made or you know it was the first record i've made with anthrax i think it's a pretty solid record throughout um and some great tunes have you know are, some of them are classic you know hard rock heavy metal songs so i think it's real important
1: Super important. There
0: is always room for one more member of Anthrax, Frank
1: Bello. Awesome. All right. Well, first of all, when you started hearing what Charlie was putting together and actually what other members of the band were putting together for Sound of White Noise, what was your first thought? Could you tell right away that you guys were going to go in a different direction than what you had in the past?
11: Well... First, I don't understand the Charlie thing. The band writes as a band together, so
7: okay,
11: yeah. So it's yeah. not Charlie coming up with uh, all the stuff. It's it's absolutely the band. And if he said that, that'd be incorrect. And it's just the band <laughs> writes through the, the songs. And what we were coming together, we write everything as a band. Um, and what we were coming up with was the next Anthrax record. Uh, as easy as that sounds, uh, it, it is. That is all we could do is write what, what's coming out of us. From vocals to all that stuff and um to the riffs and all that it was still gonna be anthrax. So going into it with a different voice with John Bush, it was gonna be a completely different vibe vocally. Uh but I, I still think it it it's still anthrax, no matter what it's just with a different voice, you know you know what I mean?
1: Gotcha. Okay, and and I apologize for saying that the
7: the, the Oh reason no no that
11: no I... I just I just wanted, you know Look, dude, yeah. you, you blood, sweat, and tears. And for anybody to, to to think that one person in this band writes music, all the all, all the songs, is, it's just not correct. And I just have to correct it. And uh, it's because there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into into every song with Anthrax writing. So uh, I have to make it make it known that it's a team effort. The Hold the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, and again, you got to realize coming from this long history with Anthrax and Sound of White Noise, it was it was different. It was different, for
1: sure. For me as a listener, one of the first things that I noticed, the difference is obviously John Bush was singing, but you with your backing vocals, it wasn't as prominent as it was with previous albums. Again, was that something that organically came about when you guys were writing, or was that a conscious effort that you guys wanted to go in that direction?
11: I don't. Yeah, I think everything happens with Anthrax organically. It just whatever fits the song best, whether it's my backgrounds or, or uh, John's John's backgrounds, or even anything. Even now with Joey's background, it's, it's, it, you know it doesn't matter. Whatever works best for the song will do. If they need me to do that's fine. If they don't need me, to... Uh, that's the way it is. If the song, I, I say they, I mean the song. If the songs need me to they have my tone in there, that's cool. But if the singer could do it, great. Let's do that. And make it. Just, just as long as it sounds as as good as it could sound, you know?
1: You guys obviously worked with Dave Jordan on the album. Oh, yeah. He was a relatively hot producer at the time, but he's also known for being very elaborate and very intricate with what he does with certain bands. Was there one specific reason why you wanted to bring him on for this project?
11: Well, just from his previous work that he's done and, and being a fan, and you got to realize Dave is a he's a uh, Jordan is he's a bass player. So I was happy. <laughs> I, I was happy right off the back because I knew I always liked the the, song, the sound he had coming out of that, and I liked his ideas. I mean, look in and every record, dude, in every record, there's going to be some disagreements, sure. uh you know, with producers and stuff like that. But uh that happens, and for as, as, so as long as we've been around, that's happened quite a lot, because everybody's got their vision. Everybody wants, you know to hear what they want to hear. And sometimes you kind of have to take a step back. But uh, I, I, you're asking me personally, I I enjoyed working with him because I, it just was easy. There was no, for me playing bass and doing backgrounds on the record. It was pretty, a pretty seamless thing for me.
1: What did he bring to the table that maybe other producers didn't bring beforehand?
11: Um, I think he's got his own way of working. Uh, And again, remember, um, I was just there. I did. I think we did Charlie's drum tracks with me, Scott, and Charlie playing. Uh, it seemed to work uh, with, with fine that way. With me, bass-wise, I actually like Dave's idea. The way I work with producers, I, I bounce off of them. I'll always come up with two or three things per piece I want to do, and I say, "Does that work better than this?" and bounce off of them. So I found that really easy with Dave because he was a bass player, and, and I usually. Uh, I, I always ask what works best if I'm not sure of something. Uh, most of the time, I do. But I just like to work with bass, uh, uh, with uh, with producers specifically that is a bass player.
1: Was there anything that once he sort of put his stamp on, once the final product came out, that really surprised you?
11: Well, first off, you got to go back to this. I think the songs were there for Sound of White Noise. It was right. that that time. I think that is a Dave Jordan sounding record. Like I, I think we had some really great songs on that record. Uh I think they were they were great to start with, thankfully. Uh, we took our time with that. It was it was right on. Uh I think it was a mixture, a combination with an anthrax record, you gotta remember this. It's always a combination because of of the band sound and the producers. There's a happy medium there. So you're right. always gonna get some uh some opinionated we we're, we're pretty we pretty much know what we want and we like open ideas from producers, but if it doesn't sound right, believe me, it it won't go. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? If it doesn't sound like anthrax, it's not gonna go. I think for that time and this is after digesting all that, I think that was the right record. Uh, although I think that that record was ahead of its time, quite honestly. And I, I'm I'm not just saying that for a got from a guy in the band. This is what people have told me also. I just feel like it, it was ahead of its time and because it 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 went over to some of the rock thing that people said which I I like, too. So I think Anthrax can do metal sounding sometimes more rockish, too, which is fine with me. So uh, I just think that 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 record has a lot of really great songs that never really got that uh, notoriety.
1: Yeah, I think as as a listener, I think especially Sound of White Noise is one of those albums that when people want to point to the 90s as being a, a shitty decade for metal... Sound of White Noise is one of the first albums that I bring up and say, no, you have to really find stuff that was good in any decade. When people say something like that to you, that the 90s were such a barren decade for metal, what goes through your head?
11: I just think about the time. I mean, look, it all came to a head. Let's think about it. You got, you got Grunge coming in. Uh, thank God for Pantera uh, waving the flag heavy, heavy flag. They were there. We we played with them a lot, a bunch in the '90s. Uh, And look, that's what happens. It's in cycles. Music happens in cycles, like everything else. You know, like film. So there's different. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of like right now. You got the comics, all that stuff. You know, you got a model DC and all that stuff. You got all these. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. Goes through it. But uh, look, I always say this, man. You got to be in it for the long run. And. If you believe in what you do, it sounds like it sounds cliche. The truth of the matter is, uh, only the strong survive. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm very proud of that. Maybe it's a New York mentality that we have, but uh, sure. look, there was a lot of there was a lot of downtimes in the '90s for Anthrax, uh, and thankfully, uh, I, I feel we're right back where we where we should be right now, locked and loaded.
1: Off of the album, were there any tracks that you really enjoyed playing live? Potterfield. I just
11: we opened and here's the deal, dude. Uh, going and as soon as I think of that record, I think of that song. Do you? I mean, do you like that song with the record or?
1: Absolutely, I love it. <laughs>
11: uh, yeah. So for me, if you mention that record, and I mean, you have old me, right? Um, another great song. I, right? you know, uh, there's a lot of great songs in that. You said specific ones. I always look for live, right? I right. love. I used to love opening the show with Potterfield. I just thought it was, it was with so many different parts to that song. John Bush's vocals are great. It all worked really. I thought it was a good representation of what Anthrax was at the time. I really did. And only it was just a great song, man. I just, you know, and there's so many on that record. But um, if you ask me what comes to my mind, that's what comes to my mind automatically. I, that was a good representation of what, where we were then.
1: Okay. Do you miss playing any of these tracks live? Uh, you know,
11: sometimes I say There's even. Uh, it's a, it's a whole bunch of <laughs> songs from the history, from even from the Anthrax of the Last Record. I would love to play live. Uh, right. There's just no time. <laughs> so, right. Look, as as we speak, dude, we have even a whole new record coming out that we're going to have to start seeing where there's going to be time in the set list to play this and where we can fit in. I love going back and just pulling out stuff from the catalog. It's, I mean, that's the benefit of being in a band for thirty something years. Um, I do miss playing some of the songs, but then again, I say, well, we have this whole other thing that's the newest songs that we have to play. Uh, that right. will be fun and all that. So yeah, I can. But I can, dude, I can just put it on any time I want.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that that if you're doing these festival dates or a lot of these shows or a lot of these tours where you guys are are going out, you have a limited amount of time and you can't exactly you know do a Springsteen and play three hours yeah. every single night.
11: Dude, you can't. You can't. And you know what? It's fun. You know, we did it a couple of weeks ago. The House of Blues in L.A. I asked right. us to um, close it. Uh, close. Be the last metal show there, uh, which was a, a great honor for us. And all that it was a crazy show. We played over two hours, and we went back to stuff from the first record that we haven't played in forever. And right. just, just like that's a special kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Um, right. But to go back, it felt good. But then you're always thinking, man. I w- then what other songs do I want to play? Because there's always more. There's always more.
1: Speaking of of more, um, a few years ago, as part of the Metal Masters 4, you did lead vocals on Room for One More. What was that like for you? Wow, oh. dude,
11: I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, dude, you just brought that up. I swear to God, I forgot that that came up. Wow. Thank you for reminding me. That was a blast. Because, I mean, that you see, now you go back, right? You go back. For one, that's another song. And thank you for reminding me because there's a million songs in my head. Just so you know, I just I'm I'm in the middle of listening. And but just before you called, I'm in the middle of listening to. Um, I just got some stuff from Jay Rustin from the, for the new records. So I was in the middle of listening to that and and um, giving some background on that and giving some feedback on that. So that's that's why I'm in the middle of everything. It's crazy. It's a crazy time. But room for one more. And thank you for reminding me of this. That's one of those songs. I love that song. Love that song. Another great song. I'd love to play live. But again, how many songs can you play?
6: Right. right. Uh,
11: and, and to go back and, and to sing lead on that for me was a special thing because I've, I've, always, I've always played bass on it. I didn't know, you know, I never did lead vocal, but that was a complete treat to me because I always thought, I wonder what I would sound like, you know? And, it, it, and thankfully, a lot of people liked it.
1: Was it different for you to be up there without the bass?
11: Yeah, it's always different. Um, like I do a side project uh, called Altitude and Attitude, and I sing lead with Dave Ellison. I do that, um, right. and it's it's me singing lead, and it's it's a complete different thing. But it's I find it it's it's more of the same. It's fun. It's it's a great challenge for me. I love I love the I love to take on challenges. So for me, it's a great thing. It's fun.
1: With sound of white noise and and I think this is going to be a difficult question because I mean this is like asking who your favorite child is or whatever but uh, uh, where do you feel that this album slots in your legacy? Oof! Wow! Oh, that's a great
11: question, dude. That's a great question. See, uh, I see with that record, I feel like. And it was anthrax, but there were two anthraxes. I feel like it's always been anthrax, but there was Joey Belladonna, and then there was John Bush, and then there was Joey Belladonna again, right? Right. Uh, I just feel like it was a time in our lives, a, a really fun time in our lives, different kind of vibe going on. Um, uh, are you talking about, like, number, or where does it, where does it fit, or...
1: I mean, for you, for you personally, how important is it amongst the entire catalog? Do you think that for you personally, what, like what emotion do you get out of it when you think of it against some of the other stuff? Uh, I guess uh,
11: the emotion I get out of that is uh, it was a continuation of a band who's been around at that time had been around for a while. And a lot of, there was a lot of naysayers that said it couldn't be done. And it was done. Um, it, was, it was a great, A great challenge for us uh so i i i I look at it as a great a great achievement for us just as songwriters and and then going on to the next page man
0: thank you for listening to the mars attacks podcast this concludes our show